Welcome to the Desert City Church Podcast. What you are about to hear is a sermon given at one of our Sunday gatherings. We invite you to listen to how Scripture is forming our new church. We are in a series entitled Desert City Originals, and we are talking about our vision, DNA, and dreams as a church. We are almost three years in and feel like we're just getting started. Our hope is this message will help you become more like Jesus. As you pursue God, may you find your true self. If you have any questions or things we can pray for, let us know. Grace, peace, and much love. Okay, we are ready to go. Great to be with you, Desert City. My name is Don. I'm Jared's favorite dad. And it's always an honor to be here. When they let the old guy come with you guys, that's a, that's a big honor. Do you notice that when Jared's not speaking, that this intermission time goes longer than when he's... I'm so excited for you and for this church, Desert City Church. I'm sitting there, though, watching everything kind of go on and, you know, Tim with his nine children and Cassie expecting and all these kids getting. Desert City is not a good name for this church. Fertile Valley is what what it should be. Fertile Valley Church. (laughs) It's exciting, though, because what what you see with those children is really is a. is making an eternal difference in generations long, long after this. And so it's, this is what's exciting about the church to watch that. I have a, a verse of scripture I want to share with you out of Isaiah. I think it'll be on the screen. You can follow along if you have your Bibles in the 43rd chapter. Um, one, a scripture that, that not only means something here in Isaiah, but is a theme throughout the word, theme the way God deals with us and is is something that got a hold of me a few months ago, and I'm going to tell you about it. Let's read the scripture first. Isaiah 43, 18 and 19. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. See, I'm doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? Behold, some versions say, look, behold, I'm doing a new thing. Can you perceive it? There's a young guy named TJ, a good friend of mine who was on my staff when I pastored up in Washington State. He was down here a few months ago and we were having um, a breakfast together. And uh, the best way I can describe TJ is he, he's this good looking Samoan, half Samoan, half Russian guy. Long ponytail, star athlete in high school and college in track and football, had a lucrative career at Nike up in Portland, and then God called him to the ministry, ruined his whole life, called him to the ministry, and he came on staff with us. I'm so high on on TJ, he's the kind of guy, when it says love God and love others, they just show his picture. There's no one who loves God anymore and loves, loves others any better than TJ. So that when there was a church that was open here in Arizona, I tried to recruit him like crazy. I mean, I wanted him down here pastoring. I thought, there's nobody better than TJ. And he came down and he started wrestling with the whole idea of coming down here. And we, we were bending over backwards, just trying to afford him and his family. And he was going to be perfect for that. And, uh, and finally, he just one day called me up and said, you know what, Don? I just can't, I can't do it. I go, what do you mean he can't do it? He goes, I, I don't think God wants me to come down there to pastor that church. 
TJ, who cares what God thinks? You know, we want you. Now get down here. He goes, no, no, I think I need to stay up in the Northwest and that church and our, we're not done yet. So he went back up there and within about three months, new pastor, new direction, no TJ. His job dissipated. They gave him his walking papers. He's done. And he was devastated. And he said, I never felt more devalued in my life. I, I, I think I miss God. I, I, maybe I shouldn't be in the ministry. Maybe I need to go back into business. This is ridiculous. I don't think anybody, I feel like I have the scarlet curse on me now, on and on. He was just going on. As he tells, he's telling me, I'm, I'm crying with him because I just think he's the greatest guy in the world. And they didn't, they didn't want him on the staff anymore. The interesting thing is, no sooner did that happen, a church in Boise called him and brought him on staff. The pastor's kind of old like me and, um, and is about to retire one of these days, and they want him to be the, the successor of him. And, and, and they love him. He loves them. It's a much better situation, and it's Boise. It doesn't rain as much as in Portland. And, and, and he's telling me this story, and we're, and we're laughing and, we're, and crying together, and, I haven't, and I, I'm just going, oh, my goodness. TJ, and he goes, God's so good. Oh, yes, and we're just having this big old time in the restaurant. And then he looks at me and says, Don, here's what I learned through this. He said, God always is working in our lives to do something better than what we expected. And he leaned back and he said, you know on Facebook how they have like these timelines you're supposed to put your highlights on? He goes, if I looked at my timeline and I wanted to, the highlight of my life, the very peak of my life, I would put it as this, yet to come. The highlight of my life is yet to come. The best is yet to come because of what God's doing in my life. And I looked at him, and, and when you get my age, it doesn't take much to cry anymore. I start crying. And I'm going, TJ, I'm so proud of you. I can't, I can't tell you. You could have you gone any other way. You could have gotten bitter. You could have quit. You could have gotten... I mean, you, there's so many different things bad could have happened. And for you to sit here and tell me that, I'm so proud of you. And then... As, as us old guys will have, we kind of, I'll zone out every now and again, and I, I'm, I'm kind of daydreaming as he's talking about, I don't know what, Seahawks <laughs> probably or something, which made me zone out. And I'm, I'm looking up and I'm thinking, oh, to be young again. Oh, oh, to be young again and to have on your timeline, the best is yet to come. Oh, man, to be 35 again or whatever, TJ. And this is where the surprise came. I heard and felt the gentle nudge and whisper of God say to me, Don, that's true for you, too. That's true for you. The best is yet. I got thinking, no, that's not God. I mean, God, you don't, you don't real. I'm old. I'm, I'm kind of crippled up. I've kind of done, I'm tired. I'm kind of tired. I'm ready to be retired, but I'm tired. And I wouldn't tell anybody this in public, but I'm kind of stale. So I'm just telling you, I'm kind of stale, kind of stagnant. 
I'm getting kind of dried out in my faith. And all day long, God would not let me go. The best is yet to come. This is for you. The best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. Now, I wish I could say that's only for me and no one else. But I want to tell you, that's for you as well. Always with God, the best is yet to come. This verse of scripture says, behold, look, God's doing a new thing. If God's doing a new thing and he's wanting to do a new thing in you, the best is always yet to come. The highlight of your life, the highlight of your faith, the highlight of this church is yet to come. Can't even imagine what the future holds. Let me just do a quick kind of Bible survey with you starting in Isaiah to kind of catch what God does. In this portion of scripture, it's found in the, in the time of the exile. So if you remember any kind of Bible history, you know, David was the kind of the golden years and Israel's at its peak and doing the very best. And then not long after that, when David goes away and dies, the Israel splits in two. There's a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom doesn't last very long. The southern kingdom is taken into captivity into a place called Babylon. It's called the Babylonian exile. And they're there for a long time. It's kind of like when they were in Egypt before the exodus. And they want out. They want freedom. They want to get away from that kind of thing. And they have prophets that speak into them all the time, over and over and over again. And Isaiah is one of the prophets speaking to the southern kingdom, basically saying this, liberation is coming. Freedom is about to be yours. You're going to be released and relinquished back to your homeland, and the Babylonians will dissipate. It'll be just a faint memory because God's doing this new thing. I'm going to give you just a little prologue of that. If you, if you go just a few verses before the 18th verse, starting over in verse 14, the Lord says to them, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, says this, For your sake I will send to Babylon, and bring down as fugitives all the Babylonians in the ships which they took pride. They had a huge navy and they were in the Persian Gulf and in Tigris-Euphrates River. They, they, I'm going to take them down in the ships that they came in. I don't know about you, but I kind of like war movies. I've seen Dunkirk twice. I, I'm, I'd like to see it again. I, um, what's that? Hacksaw Ridge? Three times. That's how crazy. I, it's not real pastoral to do, but it kind of releases aggression in me and that's in a loving way but I like I would love to see these Babylonian ships go down I would love to see God's hand of retribution just nail them and God just lays and and he says this I am the Lord your holy one Israel's creator your king and this is what the Lord says he who made a way through the sea a path through the mighty waters who drew out the chariots and the horses and army and reinforcements together and they lay there never again, never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Streams in the desert, away in the wilderness. What in the world's going on? Liberation is coming. I'm taking care of the Babylonians for you. Hey, do you remember the Exodus? Do you remember when the Egyptians were following after the God's people in the Red Sea and and in, on dry land, and all of a sudden, as they went in, he just, God kind of likes war movies, too. He just 
swoosh from tidal wave and boom, they're gone, dissipated just like that. And on to the promised land they go. Do you remember that? Every Jew that reads this goes, yes, I remember that. Are you kidding me? That's the greatest miracle in our history. Even to this day, Jewish people will say, there's nothing better than the Exodus. It's the greatest, greatest miracle. Isaiah says, yeah, I want you to remember that. All throughout the prophets and all throughout, throughout the, the scripture, remember, 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 remember the Exodus. It's told over throughout the Psalms over and over and over again. And here's Isaiah, brings it up to him again. It's a faithful God. You think, you think you can't be liberated. Let me just remind you what he did to your forefathers. You remember that? Yeah, we remember that. Okay, now forget it. What? Now just forget it. Clear it off your plate. Because your faith, for some reason, can't get past the exodus. And I want you to know, I'm going to do a new thing. I'm going to do something for you and your generation. The same power I use there, I'm going to do something new. And liberation is yours. Forget the past. Now, the past has a lot of good things for us. You, we can learn from the past, but we don't live in the past. The past is great in that it, it teaches us things. It inspires us. In this case, it's, it, the faithfulness of God is seen so often in the history of the Jews in the past. Remember, 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 the scripture says. Build an altar for what God did here. And they build an altar for what God did there. And never forget that. Let's build an altar because that's what God did. We, we see the faithfulness of God in the past to be inspired and to have our faith built up. But sometimes we box God off into the past so that he can never get out of the past. He's just a historical memory and a historical figure. And sometimes our faith never gets beyond nostalgia and remembering. The past is, is, is important to us because even in Scripture, there are times when we drift there are times when in Israel they would go after false gods and they would chase after idols and, and, the, and the, they would, the prophets would call them back. You got to get back. Got to get back to the word of God. Got to get back to the law of God. Got to get back to the ways of God. Got to get back there. Because every time you, you go away from that, you drift. They call you back. The truth of God never changes. The word of God never changes. It stays the same. It's never ever changing, generation after generation after generation. But we, we mistakenly think it will be clothed the same way every generation. It comes new and fresh and differently. Same truth, same promises, same God, clothed and packaged differently for each generation. And if the past makes us miss God because our eyes are so focused on the past. We've missed a pretty big thing. So forget the past, he says. As important as it is. I mean, for some of us, it's easy to say, hey, you better forget your past. I mean, you've been so broken. You have, you have so much messiness and sin and garbage. Forget the past. That's not what he's saying, though. He's saying to the religious people, to the people who remember the good stuff about God, hey, Put that in the past. Forget that. You don't tie yourself in there. You don't live there. I'm going to do something new. And he says, behold, 
behold, I'm doing something new. It's not like, okay, just sit back for a minute. I want you to consider that maybe, just maybe God can do something new. I mean, I know your situation stinks. You mean, you think it's bad in America now. Being the Babylonian captivity was not the greatest thing either. I know you might be in a tough situation, but have you ever considered this, that maybe God can do something new? It's not saying that. Hey, have a little bit of hope and a little bit of faith because maybe God can do something new. No, it's, it's, more, it's more like, behold, it's, it's like, look up in the sky. There's a bird, there's a plane. No, it's God. Can you see it? Not only maybe he can do something new, maybe he can work something out, but behold, he's doing something new. He's doing it right now. You may not perceive it. You may not recognize it. You may not realize it. He's at work even when you don't see him. Did you know that he's doing something right now? Behold, behold. And it's going to be bigger and it's going to be better. And it's going to be exactly for what you need. Behold, I do something new. Can't you perceive it? In other words, uh, are you going to miss it? The implication is you're missing it. Take a look at this. The best is yet to come. Whatever you want to do to line your circumstances out, the best is yet to come. You think it's going to be like the Exodus, which was the greatest miracle? Wouldn't it be great? I'd be, I'd be singing, give me that old-time religion. You can do that old Exodus thing again. It's going to be better than that. It's not going to be water caving in and killing people. It's going to be streams through the desert. It's not going to be this, this blockade of the enemy. It's going to be a path made in the wilderness. There's going to be a different way that he works to do the same thing that he always does for his people. Liberation, freedom, redemption, salvation. He's doing this thing through. He's doing a new thing in Isaiah. He does a new thing in the New Testament as well. He does a new thing with the Messiah. One of the, one of the themes in the gospel is this. Jesus comes and his own people reject him. The people that you would think would say, hey, been waiting a long time for this, had nothing to do with him. Now, you would expect the tax collectors and the prostitutes and, and the, the, the dirty, no-good sinners they were wide open to Jesus. It was the religious people. It was the Pharisees. And the Pharisees are not bad folks. They get a bad rap. I mean, Jesus was on their case. They drove Jesus crazy at times. But they were pretty good people. The context of the Pharisees is they were this group of people that were bringing back the law into existence. There was this more of a liberal group called the Sadducees who were kind of undermining all of faith. The Sadducees said, no more um, spiritual realm. No more demons and angel stuff. Um, no more miracles. No more resurrection of the, of the dead into, into eternal life. We don't believe that kind of thing. No more miracles. No more, no more resurrection of the dead. Now you know why they were sad, you see, with, with that. But, and, and the Pharisees just went in there and said, we got to get back to the law of God. We've got to get back. That's, that's not who we are. That's not what we're about. And in fact, Jesus agreed with the Pharisees on more than one occasion. In fact, one time in Matthew, the 23rd chapter, verse 1, he just says, hey, do what they teach. They're teaching you the right thing. Just don't do what they do. They're hypocrites. But what they teach, that's the right stuff. And they're missing it. 
They knew the law. They memorized the law. They lived the law. They were, they were about as law-abiding as you can get. They knew the word of God. They knew the Bible that they had in their hand, word for word. They memorized it from early on in their life. They knew the Bible. But they didn't know the God of the Bible. They knew the law. They just didn't know the Spirit's power. So much so, they could quote verse after verse after verse, doctrine, doctrine, Bible, word, over and over and over again. And here's God himself in flesh standing in front of them, and they miss it. How do you do that? I mean, it's not like, oh, whoops, didn't see that one coming. Jesus, he was God. It's not like that. They looked at Jesus and said, you're demon-possessed. Belzebub is your name. I mean, not missed it to, to the point where they crucify the guy, the son of God. Why? Because Jesus didn't meet their expectations. They expected Jesus to fit in the box of all their tradition and of all the way it once was and how God once worked. And when he comes in with this, hey, don't just get along with people, but love your enemies. When he comes on with, with, with all his teachings about the first shall be last, the last shall be first, it is so different than what they are used to, what they expect. Jesus said it's like if you take new wine and you pour it into old wineskins, the old wineskins just explode. They're not ready for something new. The New Testament Messiah was all about God doing something new. It's a new thing. You go into, into Acts, the time of Pentecost, and Pentecost is something new. It's a feast when everybody's gathering together. And, and um, in Luke, the second chapter, he starts to, to talk about this, this guy named um, Joel who had this great prophecy back in the book of Joel about your old man will you know, dream dreams, your young men will see vision, um, women will prophesy, sons and daughters and servants. It's for, the, the Holy Spirit is for everybody. And, and they understood this. They memorized this. They came to the Feast of Pentecost because they believed all this stuff. And all of a sudden, in the second chapter of Acts, 120 people gather together. And the Holy Spirit comes upon them in this upper room. And it shakes the doors like, like Hurricane Harvey is on, on the way. It's shaking it. So, and there's fire that's coming down. It's landing on everybody's head. And they get up out of there and they speak boldly the gospel of Jesus Christ in, in languages that they don't even understand. So that when they go out to thousands of people, everyone hears the gospel of Jesus Christ in their own language. And as you go through that, that second chapter, it says they're bewildered. They're amazed. They're trying to figure out what's going on. They're scratching their head. People are seeing this and trying to understand what in the world, what in the world. They're perplexed. They're amazed. They finally just say, those guys must be drunk. And Peter finally stands up and says, hey, it's only nine in the morning. They're not drunk. This is, this is the prophecy of Joel. The Holy Spirit will come to everyone. Doesn't matter if you're a son or a daughter, old or young, servant or leader, man, woman. I mean, how earth shattering is that? We need to hear that in our own generation. There, there's no difference. The Spirit comes for all of us. 
Joel prophesied. You believe that. And what I'm telling you, what that said is this that's happening. It's a new thing. It's a new thing. God's always doing a new thing. And his people are having a better day progressively. Finally, in the, in the, the, the book of Acts, the church starts to rise up. All these Jewish people are starting to become Christians. But something really weird starts to happen. The Gentiles start to become followers of Jesus as well. Oh, no. Who invited them? The Gentiles. Finally, the church gets together. The Jewish church gets together and says, you know, if we'll make the Gentiles, um, if they'll keep our feasts and they'll keep our dietary laws, and, oh, yeah, if, if the men will get circumcised, they're welcome. Join the church. Now, how many of would you would go to, like, a newcomer's class for that? Doesn't that sound pretty good? Um, no, thank you. And Peter, Peter's trying to figure this whole thing out. He goes, I, I just can't see it. Judaizers are going, we don't want them. And God gives Peter a vision. I'm doing something new. And out of heaven, this big sheet of, of every kind of animal comes out. Most of the animals that they didn't want to eat, that they thought were unclean. And God says to Peter, hey, I, I made all these. And what I've cleansed, you don't call unclean. And Peter's, Peter has to admit, I saw the Holy Spirit come upon these Gentiles in the same way that he came upon us. God's doing a new thing. He still can't quite get a hold of it. And he still wrestles with it. Barnabas, who's called the encourager, he still wrestles with it. The Judaizers are, are pushing the Gentiles out. Finally, a guy named Paul gets up and says, hey, I don't know about you, but I'm going to the Gentiles. In fact, you guys stay in Jerusalem with your little group if you want. But we're going to move the church headquarters to Antioch. And we're going into Asia Minor. We're going into Europe. We're going into all the world to reach these Gentiles. Because that's what most of the world is all about. And you and I are sitting here today as followers of Jesus. Because Paul got a hold of the truth that God is doing a new thing. He's doing a new thing. You go through all of history. God's always doing a new thing. They call them revivals. They call them reformations. They call them awakenings and reawakenings and refreshings. And, and what God does in 1940 is different than what he does in 1960. Is different than what he does in 1990. Is what he's doing differently today because our needs are differently. And because he's the great originator. And he's always looking at a way to do something new. Because the best days ahead are always there for God's people. For the way he works. He's doing something new. Now I laid that out because I had to sit down and I had to wrestle with this. And here's what I came up for myself. And maybe you can jump on with your own. If God's doing something new. If God's doing a new thing for me. I, I need to have a, a new determination. To my calling. A new determination. For me, it would be much easier in my station of life to just coast. To just kind of ride it out. But I've got, if God's doing something, if, if it's really true that the best is yet to come for me, I need a new determination that, God, you called me. I know what you're calling me to. I know what you've, you've put your hand on me a long time ago, and I'm not turning back. In fact, with new determination, I want words like enthusiasm. I want, I want words like joy. I want words like anticipation to be a part of my life. That can it really be true that 
even after what I've gone through in life and what I've done, that the best is still yet to be? I'll tell you this. If God still has more for me and better for me, I'll sign up on that tomorrow. I'll sign up that right now. I want that. I want the very best. I know what he's called me to. What's he called you to? A determination to live out your purpose and your calling. You're going, I don't know. Let me, let me just suggest a couple. How about being a, 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 a husband or a wife that you're called to be? You're going, oh, we had to go to marriage thing. Yeah, because I know how that is. And you're going, you don't know about my marriage. We're tired. I mean, we've tried so much. I mean, we just, we just don't get along anymore. We, we've, we've drifted apart. or We've gone through counseling and counseling and counseling and counseling. There's no more hope for us. There's just no more hope. You know, you're probably right. I finally come. I'm, I'm tired of trying to save everybody's marriage. You're, you're probably right. There's no more hope for you. Except God's doing a new thing. I believe that. Except God can do a new thing in your heart and in his heart. Except that he can build back love into you. That's not only your love, but his love through you. God is doing a new thing. You don't even have to have a horrible marriage. You might have a great marriage. You might go, our marriage is wonderful. Still, let me just tell you, the best is yet to come for your marriage. As good as it might be, it can be even better because God is always doing a new thing. Some of you, it's with your family. You're going, my kids, uh, I mean, they're making wrong choices. They've made wrong choices. I don't know if there's any hope for them. I'm about, to, I'm about to ready just to give up on them. And I'm just going to tell you, you might as well. Just give up on them. There's no hope for them. Except, yeah, God's doing a new thing. And he can do a new thing in their heart. And the best years of their faith is still ahead. And the best, best years of their life still ahead. Because he's doing a new what I love about you is you're in this new church. God's doing a new thing in this church. It's a new thing. Now you can go to churches all through the valley and you can go and you can sit and you can walk out. Nobody will ever talk to you or if you want, somebody will talk to you. you can, but you just go in and out. doesn't matter. But your, your church is different. It's in a place that's strategically picked out by God. Because he's doing a new thing. Jared mentioned a couple of weeks ago, seven churches at least have gone in this area and have, have not made it. Does, is God not at work? Does God not care about Desert Ridge? Is God not like North Phoenix? No, God's doing something here. And he's placed you at this time here. And it takes a determination, a renewed determination that we're going to be the church God calls us to be. When Jared lays it all out with all those different P's, P, 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 I don't, I don't remember what they were. I just know they all start with P. So that's a beginning. That there's something unique about who you are and what you're all about. It's a determination. We will be God's light to this place. We will be God's people. We'll be salt. We will do what he calls us to do. We're determined to make that happen. Here's what I would tell you. God wants a church here more than you do. God wants to reach this neighborhood and this area more than you do. He's just looking for people who are determined 
to live after that calling and to join what he's already doing because he's doing something new here. Real quickly, I, I, I did D's instead of P's. Second D, discipline. I'm going to discipline myself. If God wants to do something new, it takes discipline. It's one thing is to say, God's doing something new. Yeah, ooh. I'm, you know. It's another thing to say, I'm going to discipline myself. It's like me saying, I'm going to lose weight and get in shape after I eat all these donuts. You know, I'm, it takes me to eat right and to exercise in order to, to get physically in shape. Discipline myself spiritually. I need to be in the word of God. I need to be in the word of God and to pray in order for me to, to grab a hold of what God's newness is. I'll never know it unless I'm connected with him. You've got a, a little thing coming up, I think, next month, a couple of weeks, of a journal that for the next four months or so takes the sermons, takes the scripture, has study questions, has all this kind of stuff, has, has small group questions. Take that thing, get it, get those scriptures Every morning, wake up 15 minutes, just sit down on a chair somewhere and just read the scripture or read, get, get you version on your, on, your bi, on your app, Bible app on your, and just 15 minutes a day and just say, God, will you speak to me? What do you want me to do? If you're doing something new, what does it look like? I'm, I'm with you. There's a discipline that needs to come in order for us to attain the newness. And the last thing is I, I want a new daring. I want a new daring. If God wants to do something new, I, I want to I want to step out on faith and believe that God still does the impossible. What's He want to do in my life and yours? For me, I love to see new churches. I I'm, I'm praying that in, from our little circle of churches, that before I die and head up to heaven or whatever the chariot comes down or however it's going to work, that there's at least two more churches that come out in our in our valley that are in our our tribe that are brand new, that are like you, that say we want what God has for us. What does God want for you? Here's what somebody told me as I was sharing that one time. They said, well, why aren't you doing something more about it? And I said, uh, 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 and they said, well, Don, what are, you, what are you scared of? What are you afraid of? I'm afraid. I've planted a church. I mean, we, yeah, I'm, I'm starting to list all the stuff. And then I had, to rem- I had, I had to finally just look at him and say, I don't want to fail. I don't know if we can do it. I don't know if there's enough resources. I don't know if there's enough people. I don't know. I I don't know. I do know this. When we planted McDowell Mountain, it was impossible to get property in a building on 124th and Shea. And God did it. I'll tell you this right now. It's impossible for you to ever get property in a building in Desert Ridge impossible. You're not going to be able to do it. Except God's doing a new thing. In fact, I'm so daring to believe that even now he's working on it when it's not even on your radar. And what's great is a church is more than a building and property. So while you work on who you are and the DNA of what you're all about, He takes care of the rest. And when the time is right, it'll be there. Because as your faith is, so be it unto you. I want to dare. I want to dare more. Can you see it?
Can you perceive it? Behold, I'm doing all things new. My fear is it's the people of faith who might miss it. Let's don't miss it. Let's join in with what God's doing. Would you bow your heads with me? Tim's going to come up and we're going to sing one song and we're going to take communion. And um, as you do, let me just, let me give you the words of the Hebrew writer when he talks about Jesus. He says, you enter into a new and living way through Jesus, the Son of God, a new and living way. When you break the bread today, it's the body of Christ and the cup is the symbolic of the, of the blood of Christ that reminds you that your former things are past, not only your sin, but even the, the good things of your religion, past. But you're entering into a new and living way. So as you take the communion cup today and the, the bread, remember who God is. Remember what he did. Remember his, his price on the cross. But step into the newness, the new and living way. If he's doing something new, what does he want to do in your life? Lord Jesus, thank you for loving us so much that you went to the cross. As we break the bread together and come to your table, would you teach us anew of the newness of God? In Jesus' name we pray.